Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. Last week we talked about um, loving God and loving people. We hit Matthew 22. This week I'm actually going to get through three chapters. Yeah, amazing, right? But I'll go fast because I want to get to the end of the message. Um, definitions matter. If God is love, uh, then God defines himself, not the culture, not our feelings, right? God is love. God defines love, period. That's, that's just how that works, and that's why we were looking in here. That's why we should spend a lot of time, as much as we can, obviously, right? But that's why we look in here to find the definition for what love is, because God is love. All right, we looked at uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and also that loving God means we obey God. And uh, our mission statement, love God, love people, be discipled, and make disciples, is that is the direction we're headed in. That's what we're going towards as a church. If we could all be doing that, championing that mission statement, I would say that our, our church will make a big impact in our community and the world around us, and I think that's exciting. Um, but our mission statement is found in the last bunch of chapters in Matthew. That's where we got it from, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. It's found in Matthew, Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Um, so what we're going to find as we go through the Great Command and Great Commission is that they're all intertwined uh, with one another. So it's very hard, you know, if we were going to do a message on each component, it'd be very hard to talk about one without talking about the others. And that's why we started with loving God and defining what that means last week, because really, if we would love God the way the Bible describes loving God, we would fulfill the other three parts of the mission statement. Right? Because it's, it is about if we love God, then we're going to forgive people that hurt us. If we love God, we're going to have space in our lives for the least of these. If we love God, we're going to move forward in a process of sanctification and character growth because we don't want to stay in sin. We want to become more like him. If we love God, we're going to care about the people that don't know him and we're going to want to bring many more to him. And you can see that all kind of works together. So last week we asked the question, uh, what, what is spilling out of us, right? So whatever you're passionate about, or I know for those that don't feel like they're passionate people, whatever you like a lot, that ends up spilling out from you onto those around you, and people end up knowing uh, what that's about. So we won't talk about cats again. I'll spare you that. Um, but you already know what spills out of me everywhere you go, or everywhere I go anyways. So, remember with the steps we looked at in Deuteronomy, uh, love God, be devoted to him, obedience to him, uh, and this should be visible on our hands and forehead, uh, meaning it should be visible in all we see ourselves doing, right? I see my hands as I work, and it should also be visible to you when you watch me, you should be able to see my love for God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, you should see it coming out of me. And that is true for all of us. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to go and look at the great commandment, so love God and love people. And remember, Jesus said, I just want to make something very clear here, because I'll be talking about the least of these in a moment, and then I'll be talking back to love people, and, and then there's love your neighbor. When we say love people, I think sometimes we give ourselves too quickly a pass, because we think about my family and my friends. If, if you want to have a metric for your love, don't look to your family and friends. Well, maybe some of you should look to your family and friends, okay? So maybe you need to improve there. We should always improve there and be kind, okay? I'm talking about, though, loving the least of these. Because Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, how are you different from anyone else? Right? What more are you doing than, than the rest of them? Even the Gentiles do that. So our love is supposed to extend beyond those 
who we're close to that give us something in return, our love is supposed to extend out into the world, into the least of these, into our, onto our enemies, and onto those that don't necessarily earn it or can't give us anything in return. So that's an important definition as we go forward. So now we're going to look at the great commandment through Matthews 23, 24, and 25. All three. All right, starting here, we're going to look... Um, we're going to start with, uh, I'm going to move fairly quickly because what I want to do is break down some of the main themes and stories within those three chapters and see if, because if the great commandment is the most important thing, Jesus is making lots of commentaries. He's, he's, uh, he's going after the, the Pharisees first, and then he's going to give parables, and then he's going to give warnings and encouragements about the end times and so on and so forth. So if the great commandment, if the greatest commandment is love God, love people, can we see that metric through what Jesus teaches and what he says in the rest of Matthew? And the answer is yes. So that's what we're going to do, though. We'll take a look at how we can see that playing out in these different stories. So the first one is the seven woes, right? So when you get to the seven woes, uh, I'm not going to read the entire thing just for the sake of time. Uh, but in the seven woes, basically you have the scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus goes after them for seven main things. If you read the story, some say it's eight because uh, you can really say the first part, which isn't a woe. It is a warning, though. He's going after them because they preach and do not practice. Look at this in Matthew 23, 2 to 4. So I've given the full references, even though I won't cover the entire passage in each case. I've given the full references so you can go back and read it for yourself. And it's always nice to read things in context, right? Instead of just taking isolated verses, then you can kind of see the whole thing. So I would encourage that. Um, so, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and so do, and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. And then he goes on to say, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You can already hear Jesus is upset. He's upset. He's very upset at his religious leaders. They're supposed to be shepherding his people. And not only are they not shepherding the people well, they're actually laying, they're making it harder for them. And then he goes into the seven woes, and we won't cover all of them, but he charges them that they're actually blocking the entrance. This is a really interesting uh, charge that he gives them. He says they block the entrance to keep people from actually entering into the, into the kingdom of heaven. So that's a scary thought, and Jesus, is, he's not having any of it. But he says, they were un, he says they're, un, they're not willing to help people. They taught about God, but they, never, they didn't obey God themselves. Right? They taught about rules, but they didn't teach people to know God. They didn't teach people to know God. They preached a dead religion rather than knowing God. They did ministry as an outward show, but he said inwardly they were full of dead people's bones. By the way, <laughs> we, we shouldn't go and uh, insult people the way Jesus did here, but I mean, he can see the heart. But he's not just going after what they're doing. Jesus is doing something here that we shouldn't do, and that is he's judging their hearts. He, he sees their heart motive. He goes right after it, and he says, I see what you're doing on the outside, but I see what's going on on the inside, and I'm not having any of it, is essentially what he's saying there. So he goes after them because they were seeking their own glory, the pleasures of this world, and they were seeking God's, uh, over-seeking God's glory and his kingdom. Uh, you know, they taught about certain aspects of the law, but they cherry-pick. So tithing, obviously the Levites, right, uh, they got their finances from tithing. So they were really strong to teach the tithing, making sure people tithed, even things that weren't necessarily in the law. And so Jesus goes after them for that. He says, you teach about tithing, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, things like justice, faithfulness, and mercy. And he's saying there's, he's not saying again that, that the tithing in that, in that day wasn't important. It was important. He was just saying, that's a small bit of the law, and the larger bits, 
love God, love people, the larger pieces that matter the most to me, you're totally ignoring, and he gets after them. In fact, he uses uh, some hyperbole. He actually talks about they would strain their drinks because they didn't want to drink an insect, which would make them unclean. And so he says, you strain out a gnat, the smallest unclean insect, but you swallow a whole camel. A camel was the biggest animal in their area, and it was also considered unclean. So he's saying, you, you try to keep yourselves from getting unclean with the smallest little you know, gnat, but you don't realize with your actions that you're actually swallowing this large unclean animal and you are unclean. So he's mad. So what's the summary here? What is he upset about? Jesus judges them because they failed to love and obey God and love people. They had a lot of the right answers. This is key. They had the right answers, but they didn't live those answers. Their heart was far from God. They served themselves. So the next uh, story we're going to get to, and this, is, this one's very short, but it's, and I don't know if it's a story, it's actually Jesus' response. And I thought it was important because you can see his his. His heart is important as we're trying to figure out how our heart and response should be, right? Because we're supposed to emulate him. And we find Jesus lamenting over, over Jerusalem right after the seven woes. And he says here in the next passage, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broods under her wings and you were not willing. So here you see again, what is he charging them with? So we see he's charging them with their unwillingness or disobedience to come and know him. Because he was asking that they loved him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of Israel knew that command. They already knew that command. And he's saying, I want you to do that. Why? It's not just a matter of do's and don'ts. I actually want to have fellowship with you is what he's saying here. And he's lamenting. He's broken over the fact that they wouldn't come to him. They wouldn't follow uh, that one commandment and so be close to him. So we get a little piece of Jesus' heart, but also we see in the summary, we see that he's again broken over what? The fact that they're not loving him and obeying him. They're not doing what he's asking them to do. They were failing at loving and obeying God. Now we're going to move forward to the, uh, the next passage. And here I kind of summarized, I put a bunch together. Uh, because in your Bibles you'll find breaks in different stories. But really it's all about the signs of the end of the age. And so I know a lot of people are focusing on this now in the days that we're in, and I totally understand that. Uh, I have too spent a lot of time here, and we've even talked about this and prayed through it at, at uh, one of our prayer summits. Um, but this is very important here because now Jesus is talking about things that are to come. Things that will come later on. And then, he, and then he addresses right there responses and warnings and encouragements. He goes through the whole thing uh, right away. So we'll pick up here. See that no one leads you astray. This is the first thing that he's saying. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. And then he says, see that you're not alarmed. Isn't that interesting? So he's warning them that bad things are coming. And then he goes on to say, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. This is instruction for us, the church. We're not to be distracted and alarmed by things that are going on around us. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to be aware. We can be aware. We're supposed to know what's going on, but we're not to be distracted and alarmed by it. Now listen, it goes on. For nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom, and famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all for my, name, uh, for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased... 
the love of many will grow cold. And you see he's actually predicting what's going to end up happening. And, you know, even as I was going through this today, whether you think this is the end or not, or whether we're moving towards the end, I mean, certainly we're closer to the end today than we were yesterday, absolutely, yes. There's more biblical prophecy being fulfilled, but that's not the message for today, uh, than there was, you know, 100 years ago or during World War II when people also thought it might be the end. Right? More More prophetic words have been fulfilled, but they haven't all been fulfilled yet. Right? They haven't all been fulfilled yet, but the important thing is here he's saying, Wars are going to happen. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be hated. You're going to experience famines. You're going to have natural disasters. And he says, do not be alarmed by these things. Don't be distracted. And look, he says that the cost of being distracted is we end up falling away and betraying one another and hating one another. And it says, because lawlessness is increased, the love of many grows cold. And that is the tragedy, right? But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the summary here, it's a warning and an encouragement. I love the way Jesus does that, right? He often includes there's an encouragement to stand strong, but there's also a warning, don't, be, don't, don't fall away. Don't be distracted. Don't be alarmed, right? And it starts with being alarmed. When we get alarmed, we feel anxious, we feel afraid, we become easily distracted by the focal point of whatever's causing us that alarm. And that's why he's saying, don't be alarmed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize. That's where we're headed. So it is important. Absolutely, yes. Are we supposed to watch for the signs of the end of the age? Yeah, Uh, absolutely we are, but we're not to be distracted by them. Okay, so that's the warning. Even uh, we're we're supposed to stay true to loving and serving God, to loving people, despite rejection, even unto death. So now we move into the next passage, and this is really part of, again, uh, the the signs of the end of the age, but I wanted to include this last portion because it's it's very important for us, because it's instructive again. And now we get this, this example Jesus is giving of a master who leaves, and you have, you know, he empowers his servant, he entrusts him his property again, and this is a common parable Jesus uses. He uses it multiple times in different contexts, really always getting down to the same thing, and that is defining who is a faithful servant and who is not. And this is what he's going to do here again. He's going to see. So what is this servant going to do? Is he going to be distracted and think my master is delayed and get busy doing his own thing and mistreating people? Or is he going to stay faithful and true to the end? And that's what we're going to see here. So Matthew 24, 36 to 51. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then he asks a question, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But, here's the warning, If that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some scary imagery there. Now, again, important. Are we supposed to watch for the end of the age? Absolutely, yes. We're supposed to know the times, uh, but we're we're supposed to know the time, like the climate around us. The, the overall direction, but he says, don't be distracted trying to guess the exact time. You won't know the exact time. Keep yourselves occupied with doing what? Being a good and faithful servant. 
being a good and faithful servant. And this is the strong charge that he gives, uh, gives here again. He says he warns them, stay awake. It's a very interesting command because uh, I remember, was it two years ago or so? Maybe it's a year and a half ago uh, when Chris was preaching on, on could this be the end, right? And he went through a bunch of different examples on different eras and different things that people experienced that where, where they thought it was the end, right? They thought it was the end of the age. And I, so, so pointing to that again, just to kind of reference that there, what's the biblical response to that? Like, how do we look at that, right? So yes, people have thought it was the end before. Now some think it's the end now. I get emails sometimes saying, this is the end. We need to be telling people. How, how are we supposed to respond to this? Well, the truth is, whether this is actually the end or not, our response is actually the same. Jesus says, stay awake as though it could be. The way we are supposed to behave, the things that we're supposed to focus on, the fruit we're supposed to bear in our lives actually doesn't change whether we're in the end or not. Jesus says, stay awake. That is the charge he gives. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So yes, watch for the signs. I'm watching for the signs. You're looking at things going on in Afghanistan and different collations that are being made. You're looking at, you know, the, the French news talked about the Euphrates drying up, which seems to reference Revelations 19. You're seeing these things and saying, oh my goodness, we're seeing biblical prophecy come true. We should be watching for the end of the signs, but we shouldn't be distracted on them from our mission, and that is to stay awake, to be a good and faithful servant. And we're going to get on to what that looks like towards the end of this message. All right, next story. Oh, I should say the summary of that one there. Uh, he's actually, he gives us an example of what it looks like to not be a good and faithful servant. And you see he's distracted with his own affairs. He's mistreating people. And it says because of this, he failed to love God and love people. He was actually going to be thrown in with the hypocrites in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the sobering thought here, as with most of Jesus' parables, are that he's talking to believers. That's the sobering part. Because this is a servant a servant of the master, right? You're, you're tracking here, that he's entrusting property. He's actually giving him things and entrusting them and he's expecting something. So this isn't the unbeliever, the person that's already on the outside. This is for a warning for us in the church for those that are on the inside, which brings us to the very next parable here. And uh, we're going to go now to the 10 virgins. Okay, and we won't go, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of the passages because I really want to park at the end of this message. But so... Just to give you a quick summary, you have five wise virgins and five foolish virgins, right? And not because the virgins, it has to do with the oil, right? Five were wise, they had oil for their lamps, they're all going out to wait for the bridegroom, right? Five had extra oil and five did not. When the bridegroom came or they all fall asleep, all of them, all 10 fall asleep, and the bridegroom comes and they're trimming their lamps and, lighting their, their, and, and, and uh, keeping their lamps lit, and five that were foolish ran out of oil, they have to go and run to the market and try to find oil. So. Fast forward to the end of this story. They come to the door. It's already been shut. The bridegroom's taken the other five, the five wise virgins, into the wedding feast. He's closed the door. Now they're knocking on the door. Lord, Lord, open to us, is what they say. And he says, I never knew you. Now, we don't know. It doesn't explicitly describe what the oil is. So is that oil saving faith, or is it obedience, or is it works, or is it, like, what is it, right? We're, we don't, we aren't told, but we get a bit of a clue at the end when he says, I never knew you, right? 
because we know the Bible talks lots about knowing God and what that, what that looks like. And if we go here and look at uh, 1 John, we actually covered this last week, actually, in that whole list of um, obedience and love are the same passages. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So here we see knowing him and obedience are linked, just like knowing him, loving him, and obeying him are all linked. So here we see that connection in Scripture. So you could surmise that the oil they were missing was obedience, was actually their actions. They believed, but they, that belief didn't, didn't result in an, uh, a, a faith that was worked out in their actions. So that's what we can gather here. So the summary here is obedience is the only acceptable response to the gifts that he gives them, and it's important. So now we'll move to the next story here. I told you, we're going to get through three chapters in the first half of the message. I'm very proud of myself for that. Last week we got through one verse. Right? So isn't this good? Big improvement from last week? Yeah, don't expect this to continue on. All right, no one knows the day or the, no one knows the, day or the hour. I recognize we only have three, three weeks left to finish off Matthew, so I want to hit some of these key pieces, but these stories here really relate to what we were already talking about and how I want to finish the series off. So um, now we go to the parable of the talents. And again here, I have preached on this, I think, at least three times over the last few years. Uh, so I won't go through the whole story, but essentially you have uh, t- uh, the, the master calls his servants to himself. He's going on a long journey. So that's Jesus leaving. He's going to come back one day. Calls his servants, believers, to himself and gives each of them a different amount of talents. Five, two, and one. Right? And it says that the one with five and two, they immediately went out and made, they doubled their, their profits. So they went out and obeyed. They did something, right? Their lives were doing something with it, but it says the one took it and hid it in the ground. So he didn't do anything. And then the master comes back, and long story short, the, the first two hear the words that I am, like, longing to hear, uh, welcome into your inheritance, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Oh, I shouldn't have said it. Those words. Can you imagine what that'll feel like to stand before him if he can say that to us? Carry on. Then we get to the one, the one talent, and he says here, and this is what I love, because obedience again here is absolutely important. Absolutely important. But what I love here is the standard that Jesus sets, because we would think it's total obedience, and then all of us are thinking, oh my goodness, like we're not going to be saved unless we have 100% obedience. No, we're saved by faith. And thankfully, there's grace, and direction is more important than perfection. So here, we see a, a great example of this, of Jesus' expectation. I expect you to obey, but I realize you didn't obey up here like the other ones and double your talents. But then why didn't you at least take what I gave you and invest it in the bank so I would have had what was mine with interest? And what I love there is Jesus lowers the standard to basically saying, had you at least done something, then it would have been good enough but you did nothing, and he condemns him for it. And that's an important thing to understand. So now we'll move. The the summary there again is obedience is that acceptable uh, response to God, right? So we need to know him. We need to love God. We need to obey God. We need to love people. And that brings us to the last one that I'm going to show you here. And then we're going to switch gears. And that's the final judgment. And this is talking now about, he's, by the way, this is all crammed in between. Right after this, now we're going to go into his death, right? We're going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And so these chapters that I'm breezing through, they, they aren't just like random stories. It's basically pure red letter for, for three stories there. It's Jesus teaching and, and talking and preparing his his disciples right before he leaves, right? So he's giving them strong themes, warnings, encouragement, exhortation, direction, 
correction. He's doing all of it in there. And then lastly here, the last story that he's going to tell them here is the final judgment. He's talking about when I return, there's going to be a final judgment. And he goes on in a loving manner and he explains the metric he's going to use to judge them when they stand before them later on. And this is Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations. And then he's going to separate uh, the people, one from another, the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Then he says, then the king will come and he will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you this way? And to summarize it here, he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. And so you see, remember I said in the beginning of the message, love God, love people, be discipled, make disciples, and they're all kind of together. And if you're really, and they all flow out of loving God, and if we really did love him the way he defines loving in here, you would find you're already naturally doing that. And that's exactly what we're seeing in this example here because it's such a natural response of the heart that is set on fire and being regenerated by the Holy Spirit that they're not even realizing that what they're doing is doing it to Jesus. Right? They're just doing it to the least of these. They're, they're just being his hands and feet. I love that. And then he goes on to say, then he'll say to the ones, uh, truly I say to you, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or naked? Right? Of course, if we saw Jesus himself, we would have done that for you, Lord. And he says, when you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And it says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will inherit eternal life. This is an incredible passage that we should probably spend a lot more time on than I'm giving it today. And so we'll probably come back here, I'm sure, at some point. But for today, we won't spend too much time here other than to say he is warning and encouraging us. And in his grace, he's actually even sharing a bit of the metric that he's using. And you're finding the metric is great commandment. He says, I'm going to judge you based on how you fulfill the great commandment. I say it throughout the entire word. It's the most important thing in here. And that is what you will stand and give an account for. Not necessarily for how much money you had in the bank or how much stuff you acquired over your life or how many relationships you had. How did you do in loving God and how did that translate into loving not just people, not just those who love you, but loving the least of these? Did your love for God, did your receiving of that gift of grace, did it translate into your forgiving someone that hurt you? That's what he's going to be looking for. And the theme of today so far has been this. Knowing the right answers is not enough. If we fail to truly love God and love the least of these, we have missed the point. I'm not going to get into saved, not saved, or anything like that, uh, but we have missed the point. That is the point. If you're here, uh, if, you're, if you, I mean, I said this before here too, but if you still have breath in your lungs, you're here on purpose. And if you're here on purpose, you're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to fulfill the great command and the great commission. That is our purpose. And yes, there's other things that are important that we will do and that'll flow out of that and it'll look different for each person. Absolutely, yes. But that is our purpose, church. That's why we're here.
So, with that in mind, let's look at the great commandment for us today. And how does it relate? Because we just went through a bunch of different stories, right, that Jesus was giving examples. First, he's kind of rebuking the Pharisees. Then he's giving us parables. Then he's giving us warnings of judgment that's going to come. Right? He's telling us the things to come. So we kind of see those three categories. And we're seeing in each one, each of the things we looked at, we're seeing that the metric he is using is that great commandment. Right? How did you respond? Did you love God? Did you obey God? Did you love people? Did you love the least of these? Right? He goes in to define that. So that's what he's used. And so that's what I want to bring it back to for us today because we have been through a lot over the last 19 months. We've been through a lot. COVID has been very, very difficult for people for a variety of reasons. And I know even within this congregation right now of who's here today and those that are online, there's going to be all sorts of opinions on right, wrong, overreach, not. It's, you know, fear of death, worried about sickness. There's going to be all sorts in here. And that's not the point. The point is, I'm starting with, we've been through a lot the last 19 months. And for us at Southland, if you've been here for longer than the last year, um, you'll know that we also went through a church split. That compounded. So first we had this sickness and loss of freedoms that happened, and, and, this, and some, we've even had people in our church that have lost their lives to COVID, others that lost their jobs, uh, lost security, lost holidays and vacations. I know that's like small things, but that's big. We lost life as we knew it. And everything was supposed to be kind of this, you know, everything was changing, and it was kind of like one thing isn't changing, God isn't changing, and the church isn't changing. Right? Well, I think we even had that on our website. And then we had to scratch the whole church thing off of there because it changed. And I know the, the pain that that caused me, and I know the pain that it caused many of you, all of you. It felt like the very fabric of the foundation of, of our faith was kind of being torn and ripped apart, and it affected families, and it affected communities, and friendships, it's, it's affected our community, and it's left a lot of people hurting. So what does the great commandment look in light, in light of this? Now, these are important issues that I'm talking about. I know when we look at the church, but it is important. What, like, what happened? Who was right? Who was wrong? How, like, how did we get here? How are we going to go forward? That isn't important. Those are important questions. I get it. When we look at COVID, there's lots of important things here. I mean, like, you know, what if I get sick? I can't, you know, what if I, what if I get sick? What if I die? What if, what if I lose my job? Then what about getting vaccinated? We're losing our freedoms. What if we lose our freedoms? I want freedom for my kids. I do want freedom for my kids, by the way. I'd love for them to have the same childhood I had other than the bad decisions I made. <laughs> Scratch that from the record. Whoever's taking notes. <laughs> but we have all of this stuff that's going on, and these are very important issues to all of us. And as I was thinking about this today, my heart, or this, this week, my heart was actually broken because I feel like we're actually in danger. The church in the West is in danger. We're in danger, but not necessarily for the reasons that you may be thinking. If you're thinking I'm referring to COVID and the church split, you were are, you are wrong. That's not the danger we're facing. Because I feel like we're in danger of becoming distracted by the things that are going on around us. COVID and its impact on our health, you know, whether this is true or not, right, actually doesn't matter. Government overreach or restrictions, whether they're fair or not, 
All of these things matter, but not compared to the most important thing that matters most. And you say, what is that? This is what matters most. The testimony of Jesus in our lives and how that's being displayed to the lost world around us through us fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Now, when I say that, am I saying that, you know, what if we lose our freedoms? That's not important. I'm not saying that's not important. I would never say that's not important. It is. With COVID, right? Let's say, okay, let's just kind of, let's, let's apply this here. Let's say COVID is a total conspiracy and the entire world got, like came together and planned this to take our freedoms, to do a great reset. I get that. And maybe there is some truth to that. I, I don't actually know. But let's say that's true. Does that change this from being the most important? Absolutely not. Does it mean we may have to have wisdom in how we navigate and move forward? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. But the most important thing, the thing that should be driving all of us at the foundation should be this. Am I an accurate reflection of the testimony of Jesus? When people see me and talk to me, are they drawn towards Jesus? Or do they have a bad taste in their mouth about Christians in the church? Because that is important. That is the most important. But let's say, for example, on the other side, let's say COVID is exactly as we've been told, and our government is actually doing their best to try to deal with this pandemic that they've never done before, and maybe they are making some mistakes. But let's say they're doing their best, it's real, this has caused a lot of damage, they're trying to do what is right. And maybe you're saying maybe it's somewhere in between. The point is, does that change the most important thing for us as believers? Absolutely not. The most important thing for us is the testimony of Jesus in our lives and how that is being displayed to the world around us through our commitment and action in living out the great commandment and the great commission. That is the most important thing. Now, you might say, okay, I get, okay, I get what you're saying, but when I'm standing for my opinion on what's going on, and by the way, I've heard, I don't know if I've heard all of the opinions, I can't qualify that, but I've heard a lot of people on both sides, and I have my own opinions on what's going on. But these things shouldn't be causing us to divide. If we're building it on what's most important, there should be unity, especially here in, in the church then there should be unity because we're all headed in the same direction and we should be able to handle things with grace and compassion and mercy. And by the way, I'm not saying that no one here is getting it right. There's lots of us getting it right. I'm saying let us work together. Let's commit together as a body to getting this right. I would hate for us to stand before Jesus and to find that we missed the point. In the grand scheme of things in eternity, is it going to be worth it? To have missed the point on something small in the grand scheme of things? No. Now, going back to truth. You might say, but, but truth is important. Truth is important. But let me define the difference between truth as it relates to opinions on facts and truth as it relates to a person, Jesus Christ. I want all of us to be ambassadors of truth. But if you are an ambassador of truth, people should talk to you and want more of Jesus. Even if you're portraying facts, even if you're teaching them things or showing them things, you're drawing people to ultimate truth, which is Jesus. And that's what I want to work together as a church. I, I'm not, this isn't just a charge to you guys. It's every bit as much to me 
That's what I want us to work. In in whatever time this COVID has left or as we move forward from a split and rebuild, let's commit to each other to working towards that goal, making the testimony of Jesus the most important. Remember, this is what Jesus actually said in Matthew 24. He said, all of these bad things are going to happen. You're going to get natural disasters, famines, disease. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Nations are going to do terrible things. They're going to be divided against itself. You're like, hey, a lot of this sounds like today. Yeah, and then what does he say next? Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Don't be consumed with those things. They too will pass. So let us consume ourselves with what matters most. Now, this must be the foundation of our lives. Everything else needs to be built on this and reflect this. So I'm not saying that other important things don't need important answers and important action. How we respond to COVID is important. How we respond to the split is important. Are we going towards prayer or do we move towards gossip? Are we becoming bitter or are we loving people that have hurt us? Do we pray for the success? Do we pray for the success of my brother and his church? Do we pray for them? Do we pray for Jesus to meet with them? Or are we too swallowed up with our hurt because the fabric of our church was torn? And I understand that pain. It hurt me too. But let love be the highest, the highest way in us. Let our testimony of Jesus shine brightly. That anyone that talks to us and meets with us, that they are drawn into him, that they want what we have. That even if they don't want to believe in Jesus, they see the spirit in you. It is emanating. It radiates. You are the city on a hill glowing in the night for all to see. And they want it, even if they won't submit to him. Now you say, but, but things are important. Like, what's going on is important. And I would say, yes, it is important. It is important. Right and wrong matter. But look what Corinthians says. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith. Wow, right? Don't you wish that described you? I sure wished it described me this week as I was doing prep. (laughs) I'm like, man, I just wish I just knew exactly what to say and how to say it. Because I love all of you and I don't want it to come across the wrong way and I want you to hear my heart in this. And I feel just as desperate for the Holy Spirit as anybody else in here. But look what he says. You can have all the faith to remove mountains, but if you have not love, you're nothing. Then he goes on to say, because we talk about people saying, when when are we going to rise up and stand and sacrifice? Okay, there may be a time when when that's called for. There may be a time. I actually don't believe it's yet. But there may be that time. But look what it says here. If you give away all that you have and deliver up your body to be burnt, but have not love, you gain nothing. Yes, these things are important, but there is something that's far more important that is the testimony of Jesus in our lives. That's far more important. So how do we know if the testimony of Jesus is the most important thing in our lives? Well, we'll look at a few quick things here. We're going to breeze through here. And I would encourage you, I actually have some of the questions we'll ask here. I don't have time to lead you through them. But I would encourage you to go online in your devotional time this next week, if you want. This is an encouragement, not a must. You guys get that, right? Yeah. We have the sermon notes. We post them online. And on all these next points, they all have questions that you can ask yourself in your devotional time. They're just honest, examine the heart kind of questions. So how do we know, how do we know when 
Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the most important thing. And the first thing is, we pray like Jesus prayed. That's, by the way, one of the easier ones to, to actually look at. But examine your own life. Do you spend more time raging on social media or more time in prayer? And I'm not saying that there's never a time to stand up for what you believe in. I'm not, don't hear me saying that, okay? I'm not talking about these things aren't important and only this is important. I'm saying there's an order. Take care of what's most important and then move into the categories of things that are also important but are lesser, have lesser eternal uh, um, weight. Right? So prayer isn't everything. Everything should come out of prayer. Jesus lived this. That's why I said, let's take our model from him. He lived this. You want to say, well, I don't know how to go through hardship. I've never been through it before. Jesus did. He went through unfair treatment, ridicule, mockery, torture, and death. And did it the right way. We can learn from him how to go through hardship. So we pray like Jesus prayed. And the question I ask for all of us is this. Do we lead people into prayer or gossip? It's an honest question. I've been guilty of both. <laughs> Thankfully, not just one or the other. But I've been guilty of both. I've totally gossiped. I have, and I've confessed that. That's not the right thing for anyone to do. Or do we lead people into prayer? Now, you might, I'm not defining gossip as just any time you talk about anything other than prayer. I'm not saying that. There's lots of things that we need to talk about and discuss that are important. But I'm just saying, overall, what are we leading people towards? Does your prayer life reflect your desire to love God and see his kingdom come on this earth? Or is your speech and thoughts and heart dominated more by setting up your own kingdom on this earth or finding ease on this earth? Which kingdom are we trying to establish? Our prayer life will usually show it. The next one, though. Prioritize like Jesus prioritized. Hmm. You'd say, well, what are Jesus' priorities? That one's actually simple. This is what I love. And we should all be going towards this one. I, I argued with myself as I was going through here. Which one is most important? I kept reshuffling them, finally just rolled the dice. They're all important. Prioritize like Jesus prioritized. What is, like, you think of all the mess going on in the earth right now. What if we don't stand right now? What happens if we don't stand and all of our freedoms disappear? What happens? That's a good question. What, like, we got to stop the evil in the world, right? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? We got to stop the injustices. And we should work towards that. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But I would ask, why do you think God hasn't stopped it already? Why does he put up with so much evil in the world? Look at his priorities here. We'll get it right out of Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. His desire is that none should perish. He actually puts up with evil because he's waiting to come back until more people can hear about the gospel and be saved. Think of the priority there. Think of the cost that he was willing to pay, the price that he paid, so that we could have freedom, and now he's putting up. He hates sin, and yet he puts up with it. Why? Because his desire is that none should perish. His priority is winning people to Christ for the kingdom of heaven. We see that reflected in the other verse that we just went through, Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. <laughs> Same thing. He's just saying the same thing in different words. Same thing. What's most important? What's his priority? That's his priority. It's the kingdom coming. It's pulling people into the kingdom. He's putting up with evil so that he can win more people to Christ, to himself. If that's his priorities, then I would say that priority should be reflected in our own life and how we spend our 
time and resources and energy. I'm not saying that everyone goes door to door and evangelizes or we're all going to be Billy Grahams. I'm not saying that. But discipling others to Jesus should be a priority in our lives that is marked on our hands and our forehead in a way that others see it in us and we can see it in what we do. Priorities. Question. Do your priorities show Jesus' priorities? Or your priorities, right? That's very simple. Which kingdom are you living for? Do people leave encounters with you wanting more of Jesus? Or, you know, do we look for ways to show people who Jesus is or do we just focus on the issues that are important to us? Right? And you'll see it right away. Maybe there's a conversation on COVID and, and some of you, I'm sure, are doing this already and you're trying to steer it back towards prayer. You're, tr- you're already trying to steer it back towards Jesus and trying to leave people feeling hope. God bless you for that. That's awesome. Wonderful. Let's keep doing that. And then for the rest of us, let's start doing that. Let's follow that example. Next one. Love like Jesus loved. Did I get? Yeah, it went up there. Love like Jesus loved. When we talked about the church split we've been through. Absolutely. So when we talk about it, do people leave those conversations wanting more of Jesus? Wanting, like being driven more into prayer? With a heart of forgiveness? With a heart of love? With a heart of hoping the best for others? Or do they leave feeling upset? Do we leave feeling upset, angry and hurt? What are we holding on to? I'm not saying these things aren't important. They are important. Same as when we talk about COVID. Are we loving like Jesus loved? loved? You know, when people disagree with us, do we show them compassion? That's a great test of loving like Jesus loved. Do we show compassion? You know, if you stop and just think about this, I want you to all just close your eyes for a second. Think about the come just as you are love of Jesus Christ, the way he beckoned you just the way you were as a sinner. Now I want you to think about the last person that you disagreed with. Maybe it was social media, a conversation. Maybe it was an email or a text. Did you show them the come just as you are love that Jesus has shown you? I know I spent time confessing this when I did it earlier in the week. Let's look at the next one here. The last one here and then I'll close this up. Because we've got to end. Suffer like Jesus suffered. Now, my question here is, are you willing to suffer? And you might say, yes, I'm willing to suffer. You know what I'll tell you? A quick, a quick hint to help you see if you're already you know, moving in that direction. How do you spend your time and fi- finances? Do you spend it on others? Or do you spend it all on yourself? It's a great way to actually see, right? Are we willing to give up the comforts of this world to see many others come to Christ? It's a great question to ask. Jesus obeyed. He was willing to give up the comforts of this world when he's crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any other way, be it possible, but not my will, but your will be done. So my question here is, is your life marked by a desire to do God's will? And if you would ask those closest to you, would they, di- would they agree with that or would they disagree? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are we re- willing to suffer for Christ? These five points are the priorities, or four points, I should say, sorry, But these are the things that are the most important. This is the foundation that we're building everything else on top of. And so I'm going to ask this. My question, remember we started this, we talked about it last week and I started this week's service. What is spilling out of you in your life? What is spilling out of us as a church? In a year from now, two years from now, when we stand before Jesus, 
What will be said about how we handled the challenges that we faced? Will we suffer a rebuke? Or will we be told, welcome into your inheritance, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I saw what you did. I saw you turn the other cheek. I saw you take that on the chin and keep going forward. I saw you loving when no one else noticed. Let's commit to each other to pray over gossip, to put Christ's kingdom over our own, to love the least of these, and to shine bright for Jesus when we suffer. Amen? Let's sing a final song of worship. just want to leave you with this uh, verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you.